Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Last night, the Irish Times, in association with Green and Black's Chocolate, brought, oh my God, what a complete Ashling authors, Sarah Breen and Emer McLeisett, to the Docklands Restaurant in Cork for a live recording of the Women's Podcast. I got to sit down with Sarah and Emer to discuss their third novel, Once, Twice, Three Times and Ashling and talk about their plans for a fourth book, what it's like to write with your best friend, and the rip-roaring success of the Ashling series as a whole. We had a lovely audience there, so thanks very much to them for coming along to the Docklands restaurant, and thanks to all the staff who were so kind. In today's podcast, we're going to bring you a recording of that event. Enjoy! Now, I'm here with two incredible women, as you know, and we're going to talk about the phenomenon that is Ashling. Uh, there's three books so far. The last one is, have any of you read it yet? Once, twice, three times in Ashling, which is just as good, if not better, than the other two. Um, so please, a big round of applause for Eamon McLeisett and Sarah Breen. So... Maybe some of you know already, but maybe some of you don't, that as all, with many, many very excellent ideas, the idea of Ashling, the notion of Ashling, was conceived in a hangover. <laughs> so which one of you is going to tell me about that fateful morning? Go on, Emer. <laughs> Sarah and I have been friends for years. We've been through so many hangovers together. <laughs> one, one recent public one. <laughs> that was on the Ryan Tuberty show. Did anybody hear that? Our greatest shame. <laughs> Our agent has ghosted us now oh. after that. <laughs> How could you girls? Um, but yeah, no, we uh, went to college together, lived together in various crappy apartments around Dublin. And we have thought a lot about where Ashling came from and how we came up with her and we're pretty sure it was a Saturday morning sitting under a few ratty blankets on the couch, hung over to, you know, yourself. The Jesus. And, and just chatting about... Um, just a type of Irish woman. We were like, you know that girl. We saw her everywhere. We saw her in our workplaces. We saw her on the streets. We saw her, I saw her every weekend on the JJ Kavanagh Ashling Express bus <laughs> down home. Hurtling uh, down the N7. <laughs> and we were like, you know, it's this type of girl. She, she buys brown mascara. Yeah. Who yeah. buys, who does that? <laughs> who does Because does she read in a magazine once <laughs> that brown mascara makes your eyes look bluer and God forbid if she was ever going to break from that tradition. So She'll take it to her grave. Yeah. And she's the type of girl who would not go to Tesco and not use her loyalty card. So she has a keyring full of loyalty cards because you're just throwing away money. <laughs> 
She's the girl in the office who makes sure the kitchen stays clean and tidy, but she will hang up a sign that says, your mother does not work here. Yes. A smiley face. Actually, Keep it light. We were, we were in RTE Cork earlier this afternoon, and there was a sign in the green room that's up above the Ballygowan water cooler thing that Fancy. said, please do not put the Ballygowan water in the Nespresso machine. <laughs> smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> and Ashling in work. It had been keeping her awake, or him, for de- weeks on end, I'd say. Oh, I geez. suspect it was Dahi himself, actually. <laughs> a Dahi's a complete Ashling, I'd say. Such an Ashling. He could admit it, he used to wear shumpers. You know, a shumper what? with the... With I've the, never heard of a man wearing a shumper. Oh, male shumpers are a thing. Stitched into the jumper. There's male shumpers. He said he wore one on the show every day. So handy. <laughs> that is so weird. That Laura was like, he used to wear one every day. <laughs> Jumpergate. I'm going to have to process that. That's <laughs> alarming news. So anyway, that's how we came up with Ashling was um, us But also two. because you're kind of, it was stuff you related to. It wasn't yeah. just this other woman. It was kind of part of you two as well. So tell us about your kind of backgrounds. It's us. So I'm from a little village down in Carlo called Burris. Um, from the road where I live, or I used to live, was Bog Lane. Emer's Road I'm from is... just outside Kill Village in Kildare. And the road I grew up on is called Turf Bog Lane. So... <laughs> So, kindred spirit from the get-go. It was meant to be. Yeah, we definitely saw bits of Ashling in ourselves as well. So, it was kind of a gathering of loads of different kind of... Ru- like, it was kind of... Ashling kind of had rules for life. And most of them were really sensible. And why wouldn't you? One of the things I love about Ashling is that she's not that... She's not apologetic about the things she believes in. And why would you be? Because they're so sensible. Like, she doesn't... She's not like, oh, I shouldn't have these views. She's like, why does nobody else have these views? <laughs> and I remember when we used to live together, like, we do stuff like hoover up. You know, you hoover up coppers rather than pick them up. And we'd be like, Ashling would never do this. Why are we not more like her? Why? No wonder we're so broke. The twice yearly hoovering we used to do. <laughs> or, like, we'd hide from the, the TV license inspector. But, like, just buy the license. You're going to have to do it anyway. Yeah. Or the trolley token, which is a genius publicity thing you had for the last book, I think, or this one as well. Uh, yeah, trolley this book token, came with some... Where she would have that in her purse, so she'd never be short of the two euro for, to get the trolley. Well, nobody needs the stress of scrabbling around for yeah. a euro. We've all been there. Nobody yeah. needs it. <laughs> she needs to do her big shop. Yeah. No, I mean, she's a practical, resourceful person. She's an Irish every girl, is what people say. Um, and she's, there's a bit of her in all of us. I mean, I, when I met these guys first, I was kind of like, yeah, I really like reading about Ashling, but I'm not like her at all. I'm just not an Ashling. I'm a scythe, as you can see but by my directional jewellery. <laughs> um, but I then, think the first time I met Roshan, we were talking about cost necklaces, and I had, you know, cost the fancy read the sack clothes. They're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned sack cloth. I, I had genuinely been in a cost store recently to that, <laughs> And I couldn't tell if the security tag was part of the necklace <laughs> or, like, I genuinely couldn't tell. I was like, is this is absurd. My best story of that is I went to Cos once. Uh, does everyone know Cos? So I went there and I got this really cool um, jewellery. I went to a big fancy ball and uh, everyone all night was asking me had I broken my arm because it looked like a sling. <laughs> I never wore it again, but it's like... So expensive. Ashling's friend Sive now would be have a drawer full of those. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we get the sense of Ashling and who she is. And it, it it didn't start as a book, obviously. It started as a Facebook group. So you 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 got her together and you were having fun with each other. Like this person, you were adding on all her idiosyncrasies and all her things, and you decided to make a Facebook group, and it just became really popular so quickly. 
Yeah, well, it wasn't actually really quickly. Like, initially, it was just our very small group of friends. Then someone we know would join. And then, you know, one day there was 50 members. Next day, there was 60 members. But we could always trace it back to, oh, well, that's someone's cousin, such and such right. a sister. But then one day, a few months down the line, you were in a pub in town. Foggy Jew in Dublin City Centre. You remember where you were? Uh, oh, I remember where I was, where I was standing. And I heard a girl ref- talking behind me. And she said, oh, my God, she's such an Ashling." And I was like... <gasps> so that was a big turning point that was like it's it's out there it's in the lexicon and like it would get picked up the odd time on the odd radio station they might talk about it or Russell Carroll Kelly Paul Howard would sometimes talk about it big early adopter of yeah yeah big fan and yeah so it just kind of grew organically like it we we came up with Ashling in 2008 2008 2009 so that's 10 years it's been it's been going so had a long time to think about her. Is anybody here, was ever anybody on the Facebook group or is on the Facebook group? Yes, a lot of nodding hands. Some OGs here, OG <laughs> Ashlings. We actually closed the Facebook group to new members about two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Just because when Facebook groups grow beyond a certain size, they become not what they used to be. Hard to manage. Yeah, hard to manage and hard, you know, people don't really get it. Or a lot of people know. joined when the book came out and diluted the content. Some people just didn't get it. And, and they were on it, but they didn't understand what it was. Yeah, about. and that frustrated other members. And I remember when Louise McSherry launched her first book, she said that she watched a debate on the page over what kind of tattoo Ashling would get. And she was just <laughs> screaming, Ashling would never get a tattoo! <laughs> you know? So yeah, we wanted to keep it kind of a sacred space. And then when you got approached to write a book, what I think is the real... Because I mean... Obviously, we all have read the books and laughed our heads off, which is one part of it. The other part of what um, Emer and Sarah do is this observational humour, which is so true to Irish life. And I think that's what the success of it is, because you've got this absolute knack of putting uh, your finger on things. But when you were approached about uh, the book, it would have been very easy for you to do a sort of a blog style or Facebook style, cartoony kind of, oh, here's Ashley, here's what she does, you know, with little diagrams and... That would have been what other people have done that from Facebook. But, uh, and very post. successfully as well. Exactly, and it's a good thing to do. But I love that you immediately went, no, if we're going to do this, this is going to be a proper story, a proper novel. We're going to make her three-dimensional. We're going to bring her to life, you know? Yeah, so when we were approached, as Emer said, at that point we'd been talking about Ashling for 10 years, so we were very loyal to her. And the Facebook cha- book had changed page had changed a little bit and we kind of saw it as an opportunity to take back ownership of Ashling. Um, and Gill Books who approached us don't traditionally publish fiction. They publish those types of books like lifestyle books, recipe books. Um, so when we went back to them and said, how about we do a novel? Our commissioning editor Connor was like, okay, um, why don't you put a pitch together? And then what happened? We, uh, true to form, left it till the night before he wanted Can't believe it. that. Can't believe Shocker. <laughs> Went to another pub in town. What which pub was it again? Neary's. Like Neary's. A pattern is emerging. In Dublin city centre. I'm aware that town to you is Cork, not Dublin. <laughs> so in another pub in Dublin and we uh, put it together the night before in my mother's old Toshiba laptop and sent it to Connor and he was like, looks good. Let's and it ended up being pretty much like we didn't change much, it yeah, too much. storyline. We were just like, okay, so uh, this is where Ash... So Ashling was where she is on the Facebook group is kind of, you know, with generic John, the steady boyfriend and hoping to get the ring on the finger someday soon and hoping for that road frontage. And we were like, what can we do to throw a spanner in the works? And it was like, John doesn't want that. But the brilliant thing is for people like me who hadn't been part of the Facebook thing at all, I'd kind of heard of it in the periphery, but what 
how I fell in love with Ashley was that first sort of few scenes in the book where she's in the hotel and she's making that dive for to make sure she gets the breakfast buffet. I mean, I think we can all in this room relate to that, you know. I mean, I, I know there's a film being made and we'll talk about that again, but that's what I see the opening scene as, this dash, and I think it can be choreographed so beautifully and it'll just be an amazing. So was it surprising to you that it went uh, beyond the Facebook um, and into this kind of people really relating to it who had never heard of Ashling or you guys or anything. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of our goal. So if we had just done kind of, as you said, like a gift book that was just yeah. jokes on the Facebook page or whatever, like someone like my mom would have been like, Facebook, oh, no, <laughs> they'll steal my identity, no. <laughs> so like, we wanted it to be something that somebody like my mom or somebody who's not on Facebook or somebody who's, anyone who's, you know, would get it. So that was our kind of goal with the book. And also, we tend to play ourselves down a little bit, like, oh, it's just a joke that took off and we're really lucky. But we're also really hard workers. And we knew Ashling really well and we wanted to do our character justice. And the easy thing would have been to do that little gift book that would have been in Oxfam, every Oxfam in Ireland in January. Um, and it would have been much harder to do a novel. But we said, look, we've always wanted to work together in some capacity. Why don't we give it a go um, and see if we can bring Ashling to a wider audience, the mams. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, um, you hadn't written a book before. No. no. So was there a bit of, because my mum wrote a, a, a biography of uh, Rosemary Smith recently. It's a book about the racing driver. It's called Driven. I, I'll tell her I gave a plug. She'd be delighted. <laughs> um, but she's never written a book before and she had to kind of go off and find out how to do it. And I know there was a bit of that with you guys as well. Yeah, you have to Google. <laughs> how do you write a book? And we did that in Neary's that time. Yeah, we did do that. Like when you read books, you're not actively taking in how they're structured or who's, like I remember Googling like what is first, do I want, am I writing it from Ashling's point of view? Like we had to have that conversation. Is it going to be, I thought that something, something or Ashling thought that something, something. And it was just a split, like, okay, let's do it in Ashling's voice because that's the one we know the best. I remember vividly taking Marion Key's Rachel's Holiday down off the shelf to see what person had she written that in and maybe that would be the right thing to do. And we were <laughs> <Yeah>. like, okay. <laughs> I think it gives people faith as well, anyone who's interested in writing or whatever, that, you know, there is a way, obviously the talent is there and the hard work and everything, but, you know, you do need a bit of help. Yeah, everyone starts and plot and at the beginning and we hadn't done any creative writing classes or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants we were, to write, We were both writers in our full-time job, so it wasn't like it was completely new to us, but... Still, we didn't know how Novel to Novel writing was new. Yeah. <laughs> so then when Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling came out, I mean, I think it was, it's fair to say a phenomenon, I used that word earlier. People just took her to their hearts and it must feel great to create something like that where people are coming up to you and the feedback you're getting is like, oh my God, I totally get it, I totally understand, totally relate. Yeah, it's incredible. Like the first print one of Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling was 4,000 books and we <laughs> thought... Like when they said it was going to be 4,000 books. Images of them pulping them. Emer was like, I what was like happens to books that don't sell? back and forth going, oh, and they were like, they'll never sell them. They get pulped. And we were counting up everyone we know going, that's not 4,000 people. Um, Breathe it on. You yeah. feel. <laughs> but then after a few days, it was like, oh, the book's been reprinted and reprinted and reprinted. And our third book, the first print one was 44,000 copies. Mm. So it just took off in an insane way. And a lot of it was word of mouth. Yeah. You know, it got a, you know, people just had such a fondness for the character. And, you know, she was so relatable. And then it went into book clubs. And it really was word of mouth. Like, there was no big advertising campaign. And there was no big, you know, anything. It was just people saying, oh, I love this. I think you should I read get it. it. Yeah. So, and a few big names that we didn't know, that weren't, didn't know us anything. Or we didn't know anything. To, you know, it was just amazing. And then did you have a difficult second book syndrome? Was that hard? Was it... <laughs> 
sense of okay, we've done it once. Can we do it again? Or are you in a flow? Did you feel like no? We know second where we book uh, because well, writing this is the freshest in my yes. mind. I'm like, how did we feel about the second? Well, one? first of all, they were like, do you want to do another book? And we were like, what? We have to do this again. <laughs> um, and then we were like, okay, we'll give it a go. We were like, if we'd known we were going to write another one, maybe we wouldn't would have crammed so much into the first one. We wouldn't have killed off. We might have character. killed off certain people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so to sit down then and do the second one, of course there's pressure and expectation because everyone loved Ashling at that point. But our job is to give her challenges and see how she reacts to them. But that's what we have to do. Yeah, there, there definitely was a certain amount of pressure because people had loved the first one so much. And you get so many people going, I love Ashling. Is this going to happen for her? I see this happening for her. Right. And you're just like, oh, that's not what's happening. Oh, God, I've disappointed this person. Oh, no. And it gets worse with each book. Like the, when this one was coming out, I was just like, oh, God, they're going to hate us. Oh. Well, let's talk about this one once, twice, three times in Ashling. And like I said, I actually think, I mean, I love all of them but I actually think you are getting better I think it's getting even funnier I think as she gets a bit older as well there's a few more things going on with her but she is in this book a lot going on like Mm -hmm. I'm reading it thinking oh she's going to have a breakdown of some kind (laughs) you know and she's she's got the uh, hen party of Magella to organise and the wedding pretty much because the wedding planner is really she's shit She's fantastic, Lisa. She doesn't know the difference between the wedding packages. <laughs> Lisa, great. get it together. She's got, she's got the Ballygo brunch, the yeah. cafe, which is Running really the cafe. successful. She's introduced brunch to Ballygo, which yeah. is amazing. And she has the sideline catering business Cater. as well, yeah. the wakes and 21st. <laughs> she's it's got all go. very Superwoman. English man called James. Oh, James Matthews. Right. <laughs> So tell us about this one because was there something you wanted to do to bring it on a bit or to she, she's turning 30 which is the big kind of existential crisis she's facing. Yeah. We kind of wanted so in order to make you know a plot interesting you have to throw problems at your character but Ashling, we felt in the first two books while she had been through a lot and there had been a lot of issues she always kind of came out of it smiling and you know just did an Ashling on it and it was all fine and a, a few times things happened to other people rather than her yeah so the, in this book we kind of I mean she's growing up she's turning 30 we kind of wanted her to have some real challenges just real life kind of stuff and you know turning 30 isn't a problem it's young very young I wish I was turning 30 so <laughs> do I but for us turning 30 soon got some 29 year olds in here there's a lot of early 20s okay. some teenagers babies, here I babies. feel <laughs> Um, so yeah, Ashling's turning 30 and she kind of reverts a little bit back to the way she feels in the first book, which is kind of left behind. So in the first book, when John doesn't propose and she feels like, oh God, I have to go back to... St- have you ever broken up with someone after a long time and you're like, I have to go back to... Square one. Drawing. Oh, I, it's the worst. So she kind of feels like that, but differently going into her 30th birthday because she's not sure what's going on in her love life. She's living down home, yeah. still living in her mother's house. So In her bedroom. In her old her single bedroom. bed. Yeah, yeah. So single in her single bed. Yeah. She's not where she thought she'd be. Yeah. And she has this list. She unearthed at the beginning these uh, teenage diaries and she has this list of 30, when she was 16, 30 things I'm going to have done by the time I'm 30. And in fact, as Madge points out, she gets very far into it. It's 27 out of 30. Yeah, not bad. But they are pretty basic. Like some of them are just like, buy something in Topshop. But when you're from the... <laughs> When you're from the country, buying something in Topshop is the most yeah, glamorous you know the thing. way I'm from Dublin, so go I read Dublin. that just going, what is going on? When you only go to Dublin twice a year, Roisinus. <laughs> and one of them is the 8th of December. And yeah, that's when she yeah. bought the thing. <laughs> Does anyone remember when Topshop came to Cork? I bet you do. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> nodding. People are nodding. Uh, tell me some other things on that list. There was uh... Uh, one of the ones she didn't achieve was marrying Shane Filan. Yes. <laughs> Westlife were big at the, the time. The Westlife reunion this year is like, wow, <laughs> couldn't have come at a better time. Yeah. Sarah and I went. <laughs> Rogue we, Park. We actually uh, were gifted tickets by MCD in exchange for a signed book. <laughs> It was so perfect. We yeah. had to bring our sign book down to the box office and like, give us our tickets. And they were like, there's your tickets. Yeah. <laughs> but, but she's done quite a lot of the list, um, but she hasn't got married. And I think that's yeah. the thing yeah. that really rankles. Yeah, that's number 30. The road the frontage list. and the marriage. Now on the list, she had to marry Shane Filan. So that yeah. wasn't going to happen. And she also was wanting to have with Prince William, but then they changed it to Prince, Prince Harry. Prince Harry's yeah. more yeah. attractive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As the years have gone on. Yeah. Harry. <laughs> I haven't been kind to Harry. <laughs> oh, William. But she's sort of in this... A little bit of a crisis, um, 20 something, 30 slash crisis thing. Yeah, she is. And she's working really hard on the Cafe Baligo brunch, but it's draining. Like she's, she's kind of doing everything. She can't really keep up. She's in a relationship with the lovely James, but is it the relationship for her? She has He's to try and figure so that out. so perfect on paper, but it's right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, I have and to. she wants to be in a couple because all of her friends are in couples, and she doesn't want to throw away another. And few he's months. giving her everything that generic John just wasn't capable of because yeah. he was generic John. You know, he's doing all the stuff she's read about in books and romance. Imagined for herself, he keeps telling her she's stunning, she can't cope. <laughs> the amount of compliments he gives her, she actually finds that <laughs> she's overwhelming. Deflecting them. You know, we kind of wanted to achieve as well was not to have her problems perfectly packaged either. Like sometimes in life you're just not sure, or like, I like him, do I like him enough? And is this the right job for me? And why am I complaining? Everything seems okay. So it, it's kind of, she's like, I, sh- I should be okay with this, but I don't know if I am. There's I nothing think. wrong with James. Like, yeah. he's, he's perfect to all of her friends. They're like, you're such a cute couple, but she's not feeling it. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Mm. And then there's John still hovering around. Yeah, John's with Megan. <laughs> primary school teacher. And I love the way Ashley can't really be bitchy, but she can't help also commenting on her too much fake tan on this. Yeah, girl. she didn't think that'd be John's style. Well, the teachers yeah. get great holidays, so that's where she got the tan from. So, <laughs> so what feedback have you had about this one then? Are, are We've had loads of people saying it's their favourite one yet. And Which has shocked us because when we were finishing this book, it was the most chaotic we have ever been. And believe me, we know chaos. Yeah. Um, and at, at the end, we were just so nervous about how it would be received. And like when you submit your book to your publisher, nobody turns around and goes, that's great, guys. You've done such a wonderful job. It's just like, okay, we need to fix this, 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 this. And you're left wondering, does anybody like it? Will anybody like it? But as, people, as you've said, people keep saying it's yeah. our favorite one yet. And, you know, we have gotten better at, as writers. And we have to remind ourselves of that as well. We feel a bit more in our groove now. And we find when we're writing it, a lot of it feels farcical because you're literally making it up out of your own head. So it feels really stupid. And then, but you read back over it and you're like, no, it's like... I'm always like, Emer, people believe sci-fi. They'll believe this whole sausage thing. I'm like, and I'm like, it's not sci-fi. Calm down. <laughs> it's just a sausage anyone empire. Who, anyone who's read the second sausage book, empire, the sausage farce in the second book, we were like, nobody's going to buy this. It's just like... You have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. But it actually, I think it could happen in small town Ireland. It could. I mean, some things are stranger than fiction, genuinely. Like we are, you know, are trying to come up for, with situations to put Ashling in. And somebody that we know is going to a team building thing on Friday oh called God. alpacas 
Prosecco and axe throwing. Something. They yeah. Like feature heavy yeah. in, in yes, uh, Ashton's mum's new enterprise. It, the eco farm. Shamar, yeah. Which sounds very yogic, but it's actually Seamus and Marion put together. <gasps> yeah, Seamus or IP. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, now, and that's what's lovely as well, because Ashling's mum gets to kind of move on. She's done a computer course. <laughs> she's all about the website being transactional. Make a transaction. Word I had never. I Here are your cookies. Make a transaction. I had, to, I had to drive from Dublin to Kildare at the weekend to order my mother something on Amazon. <laughs> so your mother's not gone to computer she, Alice yet. is not she, there yet. She couldn't cope. <laughs> the Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. So listen, I mentioned that it's going to be made into a film and you have also gone on Google and gone, how do you write a film script? Because sure you you've to, written yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a whole other, that's a whole other skill. We didn't have time to go to film school, so just <laughs> a quick Google. It turns out spending four years in film school is actually a good idea because <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, we are working with Adam and Pictures who are brilliant and very well respected. But yeah, we're writing the screenplay ourselves. Screenplay and script is the same thing. Didn't know that before. We had to Google that. So the difference between a screenplay and a script is a screenplay is just for the screen where a script could be for a play. Yeah. Googled it. I didn't know that. <laughs> I love that this is happening. <laughs> didn't go to film school. It's just on a need to know basis. You yeah. find it out. Yeah. And, you do it. and you move on. And, <laughs> and was it a very different challenge uh, to kind of think visually about, or when you were writing it, did you sort of see these scenes unfolding? Or is that the way you write? Or is it did when we're writing the screenplay? Yeah. Well, when you're writing the novels, were they kind of looking, could you see everything happening? Or I kind of do. I don't know. I can't speak for Sarah, but yeah. I do kind of see things. I have very clear visions of what things look like in my head. Like I can see Ashling's bedroom and I can see everything. Like, I, you know. We've even been known to draw a little map. To yeah. It's <laughs> clear in our heads about where the house is and where this is. Well, Maeve Binchy used to do that. So there Did you go, you're in good company. Yeah. When you're writing a lot about a small town, it's hard to keep track of the people and where they live. <laughs> <laughs> but for, so the script, screenplay that we're doing is based on our first book, Oh My God, When I Beat Ashling. But when we were writing that, we had no idea that it, could potentially be no. adapted for the screen. We weren't thinking that far ahead. So it has been really challenging because screenplays are very structured. So you have to take your book, which is in hindsight, a little bit all over the place and kind of rework it so that it fits the format. And we have had to, we've written so many drafts of it now and we've lost things and gained things. But our most recent draft is kind of more true to the book than previous ones have been. Yeah, definitely. But it's never going to contain every scene, every character, every interaction. So we're trying to find ways to put in our favourite lines or, you know, our favourite people here and because there. Because the interesting thing is, I mean, the th people that are mentioned in Connection are Russell Carroll Kelly, who is a big fan of yours, and Marion Keyes, who I know was inspiring. I got and it. also Bridget Jones' diary is the other kind of thing that's mentioned in the same breath as Ashling. And it's interesting to think about her... Um, transfer to the to the cinema as well yeah but it's done so well yeah and like having read Bridget John's diary the book and then seen the film like they are quite yeah. different obviously the the kind of base storyline the spirit, is, the same. They the spirit is there yeah the tone that's what's hard to capture and they really took a chance on Renee Zellweger I think because she nails it as an English woman whereas we're very panicked about who's going to play Ashling and who's going to play our characters and will they have the perfect Irish accent yeah. Um, and the other thing to say is to talk about how wide it's spread because a lot of times when there's a very Irish-centric kind of book, it stays in Ireland, which is grand, you know, it doesn't travel. And yet, there you are having to tell people in Germany what road frontage is and all that kind of thing. And <laughs> what are O'Neill's? Our, our first book was just published in Germany over the summer, was it in August? August, I think. And 
uh, they had an amazing woman who is German but had, had lived in Ireland for a long time. So she was translating it. But she sent I'd these, love her. She sent these amazing emails, like just with a few queries. But she was like, these are things I just cannot figure out. <laughs> and it was, one of them was in one scene in the second book, Ashling says of Sive, they saw her coming because Ashling or Sive has ordered an ocean sandwich and Ashling's like the state of that they saw her they saw her coming and the German woman was just like what do you mean by they saw her coming were the windows open or <laughs> and I was like I get I understand why that would make no sense what else was on that list do you remember uh, purple snacks she was like what is that I don't know what that is and then the O'Neills. Oh, she was wearing her O'Neills. Is that what is? Is this a type of clothes? Is this a dress or is this? Some, we were there explaining. The other thing I love about uh, the James Ashling relationship is the kind of um, Anglo-Irish relations, and uh, with Brexit and everything, there's a lot to be said for this relationship because she she's so exasperated with him because she has to explain everything to him. The death notice has been read out on the radio. He's incredulous he just can't and, cope. and he should be. It is a crazy thing. But she's really like, but you just. Get I used program. I used to read the death notice on the radio. It used to be my job. KFM has been informed of the following deaths. <laughs> How sad do you sound? It's brilliant. really sad. And they, yes, digger. What is the Irish first? Oh, yes, yes oh, God, I can't remember it. Oh, God, everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But there oh, yes. is a scene in this book about death oh, yeah. notices and it is from a true life event. So anyone who's read it, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I won't God. spoil it, but it did happen. To me. It involves a Chris Rhea song. It involves Very a inappropriate. song. It involves the death note. Is that all true? Yes. Oh, brilliant. But yeah, he can't cope. He doesn't understand the blessing of the graves and all these yeah. things. Yeah. The cleaning She's, of the graves before the blessing yeah. of the graves. Grave yeah. pride. But I love Ashling the way she just thinks it's so normal. that she, Why does he not understand? But it She's is no normal, of someone, you know, know, down where we're from. Or when he go, they go to uh, the pub on Christmas Day, she is just aghast. She's like, what are these the English animals? English are a law unto themselves. <laughs> yeah. um, so what's going to happen next? <laughs> now, you did say in a recent interview, which I thought was interesting, that you said there was going to be five books. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I mean, like if you look at something like Ross, um, which has gone on, I think he's on his 10th or something. Ten? More, more like more than 20. His, oh, yeah. Sorry. 19 God, or something. Paul will kill me. Yeah, scratch <laughs> that. Um, but anyway, loads of books. Yeah. And you, you seem to have an idea that you wanted to have a finite lifespan. So... Tell us about that. Why do you want to kill her off so quickly? Well, nobody said she's going to die at the end, Roisin. <laughs> we always just said that the best things come to an end. And we probably would have capped it at three books, really. Yeah. Except for it's very enjoyable. And it's nice being self-employed. <laughs> and think people really do seem to want more. Like anyone do. who's finished this are like, what, what's going next? I have to know what's coming next. You could end it. Like the way this book ends, I feel like you could just leave her to sail off into the sunset and leave it at that. And I think our publisher would have us do this for the rest yeah. of our lives because they're so popular. But we wanted to just know where her story was going to end and to have a final ending in mind. And also, if we're comparing it to Ross, the Ross O'Carroll Kelly books have an element of both satire and surrealism to them. So, like, stuff happens in those books that really, really would never happen. Like, never mind the sausage farce, but, like, stuff that really would never happen. It couldn't happen in our And it gives anyway. him the license to create kind of fantastical plots that really work with the world he's created, but it wouldn't work for Ashley. Like, we've had people say, oh, she could become president, she could be in the Oris, and it's just like, well, no. No, like, that's not no. going to happen. <laughs> no, I agree. But we'd like a Goshka we'd... Award, but that's about it. <laughs> we'd like to go out kind of on a high and just leave people wanting more. Like, that's, I think, 
creatively where we'd like to be. Yeah, but I, I think it's kind of interesting because a lot of people assume when something's successful, I don't know what you think, that you kind of go, let's milk this for all it's worth and never stop until, you know, we have to. So well, I sure, people want us to do merch and everything. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, you have a bit of merch. You have your... Well, they're talking. just like, they're kind of gift. Yeah, if yeah. you pre-order the book, you get a gift. But like, we've had approaches to do like full-on merch that you can right. like buy in shops. And you weren't and we're into just that? Like, no. 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 And like, people want to, people have approached us to, you know, could Ashley be the face of a bank? You know, and it's just no. no. <laughs> I mean, she's very sensible and good. She would, you know, but no. Love's a good bank. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're kind of have a, a limit on, on what you want to do with it. You're not going to kind of cash it in to the degree where you're feeling not be able to sleep at night, kind of with your. Decisions. Yeah. No. I mean, we're doing five books in total. And we're writing a movie. I think we're doing her. That's a lot. A justice. <laughs> and then when it's over, do you have a sense of what you? <laughs> Going alone. Hey. No. <laughs> Interesting. For the listeners to the podcast, can you uh, just narrate what you just happened? killing Sarah. Um, no, but but we, what, do you, what do you think? Is we definitely like to continue working yeah, together in some capacity. I mean, we 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 could. You know, there's been interest in other ideas we've had for screen stuff, and um, just very casual ideas. Um, it's shooting amazing the door doors it has opened, okay. and it's really made us accept that. We are good at what we're doing and we're not just two clowns who like fell into, oh, we wrote a book. Like it's, it's really made us, like people have said to us, and what other ideas do you have? And we would like to have those ideas first, please, before you bring them to anyone else. So Before you tell your agent. Yeah. <laughs> Clever people. So do you exciting. think it was kind of an Ashling stroke Irish um, vibe that you had at the beginning, which was kind of more self-deprecating, not as confident, a bit more like, oh, we were very lucky and you've grown into, mm. you know, being surer about your abilities and confident and, you know, no, I'm not saying boasting because obviously you're Irish. You can never do that. God no. But um, being, you know, being very quietly assured of yourself, which it's, you weren't before. Yeah, it's yeah. okay to say that we are good at what we do. Like we have the number one book in the country this week. That's the third week Round in a row. <laughs> not that it was a competition, but Margaret Atwood's sequel to The Handmaid's Tale came out. We smashed it. <laughs> you know, has Ashling read The Handmaid's Tale? Ashling is smashing the patriarchy. <laughs> Same as Margaret way. Atwood. <laughs> No, but a good friend of mine said to me, said to us recently, she was like, you talk yourselves down too much. Like, look at your success. Stop doing that. It's, you know, it's, it's a thing women do and just stop doing it. Own it. Say, yeah, we're proud of what we've done and we're going to do a bit more. And we're award, we're literally award winning authors. <laughs> Here she goes. <laughs> That's all I'll say. But tell me a bit more about that, because I think everyone, I think, is there a man in this room apart from... The bartender, Hello, the photographer, yeah. Connor. You know, I think a lot of people would relate to it in a way. Why do we do that? Why do we talk ourselves down? And why are we not sort of standing up and, and shouting and, and just not shouting, just mm -hmm. quietly saying, very happy with what I've done. I'm, I'm proud of myself. Because then you're, you have the potential to be seen as a weapon. Or and like in the very Irish sense of the word, like, or your one is so full of or yourself. Or you're up your own home. Yeah, Nobody yourself. wants to be up yeah. their own home. And what's the difference between a man doing it and why are they not up their own Men home? get away with it. There's some statistic, statistic that says a man will go for a job that he is like 20% qualified to do, whereas a woman won't go for a job that she's 80% qualified to do. I wish I knew why. The patriarchy. The patriarchy, <laughs> again. Thank you, Margaret Atwood. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it is incredible that you have sold more than Margaret. He'll be here in November, so you can... Every week for the past We actually weeks. sat beside Margaret. This is okay to say, isn't it? Yeah. We sat beside Margaret Atwood at a literary event last summer in Carlo, and we were... Actually, it was a... Tar- it was Your tar- hometown, wasn't it, Boris? Yes, it was Boris. Was it Tara Flynn or Deirdre? Deirdre Kane. It was Deirdre Kane uh, doing some stand-up, and she was great, and we were sitting in the back row, and in shuffled Margaret and the husband and sat down beside us, and then he lifted up his walking stick, unscrewed the top, and drank out of it. <laughs> what a legend. He and must be 110. Lovely poor man. He just died a couple of weeks ago. That, Did he? Yeah, I didn't know that. And Margaret's wife, her husband for many years, a poet himself. Oh, and they were hooting away at Deirdre yeah. O'Kane. Yeah. And Sarah's mother was sitting with us, and she shuffled out past. I was like, like, get down, man. It's Margaret Atwood. Don't stand on Make way. <laughs> and Deirdre's comedy show was all about her um, dancing with the stars uh, stint. Margaret somehow got it. She was ah, just she loved away. it. I loved it. Well, my little Margaret Atwood story from the same t- festival was that uh, I hadn't watched any of Handmaid's Tale because I was too after the repeal campaign. I was just like, I can't watch that. It's too much like real life. So when I got my little moment with Margaret, I was like, Sorry, Margaret. Like I haven't watched the Handmaid's Tale. I don't know if you know. In Ireland, we've had this repeal campaign, and like we did with, but still, it's been very <laughs> stressful. And Margaret was just like, It's just a show. <laughs> And then, and then she was like, you won that referendum. So watch the show. <laughs> so wow. there I was, and they put back in my box. Yeah, very yeah. nicely done. Oh, Margaret's like, pass me the booze cake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we are going to open it up to questions, because I'm sure you have some. So I'll let you have a little moment to, to think of some. We haven't talked about notions but it's a very important part of Ashley, and something that I think, again, as Irish people, everyone kind of can relate to. See, my mum's English, so I kind of think we had notions. notions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We had notions and didn't realise you weren't supposed to have yeah. them. But then I you know, found out in, in reading your book. So tell us a few examples of notions. Uh, having a black tie wedding. Notions. <laughs> Anybody guilty here? <laughs> no. People like my husband from Dublin who grew up with salami in their lunchboxes. Absolute no. I know someone who brought hummus in the 80s in their lunchboxes, Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> I heard Ryan Tuberty saying he'd never had hummus in his life. I know, he's missing out. Which doesn't make sense because these notions coming out of his ears. Yeah. He does his big shop in Marks and Spencer, Black Rock. Oh my God, now that's notions. <laughs> no, I have done that sometimes. Getting a trolley in Marks and Spencer yes, is the notions. ultimate notions. <laughs> Who needs enough stuff in Marks and Spencer to get in a trolley? <laughs> okay, give us some more more notions. Oh, what's notions? Um, yeah. Well, for Ashling, it used to be ordering any kind of drink that was probably cost more than seven euro or had any kind of salad in it, aka a mojito or a fancy cocktail. But now, she, in this book, she's kind of grown up and she's moved on to the gin and tonics. Well, what I love about this is, and I do really relate to her on this, she won't drink the gin and tonic out of those giant, ridiculous glasses. Yeah. She's sticking with the Slim Jim. With the, the, slim with the pepper yeah. in it. <laughs> the pepper's for your dinner. There's everything in yeah. those gin. Emer has a problem with the glasses. She says her face gets too I have a problem with the glasses. Them. I do. Yes. Touching you here on your forehead. You get a shower. Like, it's like a flipping yeah. gin shower. What else? So, yeah, you, you definitely int- put your na- finger on the nail on the... Head. Head on the head, yeah, yeah. on the notions. Nail on the notions. Yeah. Uh, with it. my mother thinks is notions. Oh, go on. <laughs> she shouldn't be telling anyone. People who put like fancy Christmas wreaths on the outside of their doors. Oh my God. I actually think I am notion central. <laughs> Which has now become very popular. Yeah. And I think it's very nice, but I don't know. And I, I um, sometimes put sushi in my children's lunch. Oh, for God's sake. 
Yeah. Oh, I think it's okay. Notions on a uh, wreath on the door, not notions. A wreath on your front gate, notion. Oh, yeah. Maybe okay. that's what mom means. I don't yeah. have a front gate. I feel like this is a particular yeah. grudge she has against somebody. So. It's very specific <laughs> yeah, neighbor. Very right? specific. How, how inspiring are your families and your local sort of area to, to feeding into all of this? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Very. So inspiring. <laughs> I was home uh, la- the weekend before last for a wedding. And you know what they have down in Boris now? They have a decorative. So we have a, already have a decorative pump painted red. Just Every a decorative p- what? Just me a picture of it. <laughs> A pump, like pump. a water pump. Like a water pump. What do you need a decorative pump for? Like just put like hanging baskets around it. It used to be a working pump and now it's just decorative because <laughs> it's painted okay. red. It has um, a handle. <laughs> but now we it's not have just a pump. Why is it called a decorative pump? Because it's they not don't, functioning. They don't use or it nobody anymore. has to go, we have taps now, Roshi. It's been <laughs> it's decorative. We have inside toilets. <laughs> we have it all PlayStation. Because it's been co-opted by the Tidy Towns Committee right. and painted I, red. Thank you. It's a focal point of the town. But now what we have on the way into the town is two, you know, like wooden horse carts just painted with fake sheep in the back of them. What? I mean, I don't know. what they're Tidy doing Towns there. judging was in the past few weeks, so I'd okay. say that was... They're up to 90 about. over it. The hanging baskets are everywhere. And, and what about you, Emer, with the inspirations in terms of family and... Oh, absolutely. Like, there's so much of us in all of these books and stuff that's been inspired. There's actually, in the first book... There's a story about somebody doing the Stations of the Cross in their house and the priest is sitting in the bath and there's a shower curtain and the parishioner is sitting on the toilet. Confessions from a bathtub. Directly inspired by actual events. <laughs> well, actually, there is a very, very funny scene in the Blessings of the Grave scene, which, oh, yeah. honest to God, involves a priest that is so fancy now and so modern that he has one of those... Mike's like Madonna. The parish Mike's. priest in Burris has like a flesh coloured <laughs> mic. So you can hear him effing and blinding when things go wrong. And it's we very, go, very I have we, we go to the Blessings of the Graves every year uh, in my family. And every year it's the same. The pr- there's one microphone and it's the one the priest has. And, and all you can hear is every third word. <laughs> but you can hear every note that Sheila is crowing in the background. Happy <laughs> Messiah. <laughs> And there's always enough volume for them to tell you when the three collections are coming around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Get your wallets out, lads. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And it's always raining. Always. always. Is that true? Raining? Always raining. I've never been to a blessing yeah. of the grave. You should come. I feel, like You're I've been, <laughs> I feel like I've been to one. I think that's enough just reading about it. Sounds Well, you really can come to ours. <laughs> Great. Would you mind reading the bit from the Blessings of the Graves? Because it's sure. actually, I yeah. think it's, um, it's, it's do it. everything up about what you do. Now I can hold your microphone and everything. So this is the amazing scene from the graveyard. And if you've never been to a Blessings of the Grave, you'll feel like you have been to one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Between the traffic on the Garbally Road and the battle to get that bloody cat back outside so Mammy could set the alarm, there's an army of GAA miners in their club colours directing cars into neat rows onto the pitch by the time we get there. Mammy is mortified. When we eventually get to Daddy's grave, Father Fennel is already making his way to the trestle table slash makeshift altar in the centre of the graveyard. As well as his good robes, he has on a new flesh-coloured headset microphone, <laughs> which allows the entire congregation to hear him to go, for fuck's sake, when he stubs his toe at an errant pot of hydrangeas. There's a shriek of feedback from the PA in the truck, who's more used to playing 80s hits on his legendary mobile disco, dives for the sound desk. A titter spreads through the crowd. I catch Mammy's eye and we both smother a laugh. I'm glad. I was afraid we'd get sad standing here. The whole village is indeed out for the mass, or it looks like it anyway, despite the fact that the rain is forecast and the sky is slowly turning from a benign shade of white to an ominous (laughs) grey. 
To the right is the McGrath family plot. Sinead McGrath only buried her great-grandmother eight months ago. Angela McGrath died doing what she loved best, cursing at telly bingo when her numbers didn't come up. She was 99 and the oldest living resident of Ballybookabard. Now the honour falls to Piers Heffernan, who used to run the abattoir in Rathboris. He's a comparative spring chicken at just 92, but he does smoke 20 carols a day, so we'll just see how long he lasts. It's a warm day and beside me, James takes, oh, James takes off his jacket. <laughs> And my nostrils are filled with that aftershave scent of his. It's divine, truth be told. John never got much beyond Lynx Africa. My eyes flick over to his granny's plot and there he is, head bowed, Megan beside him in a gorgeous floral dress. Fran on his other side, rosary in hand. John looks up and catches my eye and holds it before I have the chance to look away. He smiles and jerks his head towards Father Fenlon, who's taking full advantage of being cordless and weaving through the graves at high speed in a not entirely respectful fashion, especially for a priest. I stifle a giggle. Ashling, Mammy hisses. Your father's barely cold in the grave there. Sorry, Mammy, I mouth back at her. The time for laughing is obviously over. Father Fenlon is now going full throttle through the homily and striding around the graveyard, <laughs> frightening the daylights out of people who are using the occasion to catch up with the pals. And now the Our Father. Unless there's something you want to share with us, Terry Crowley, Father Fenlon booms, popping out from behind the grave. Popping out from behind the Crowley family headstone and nearly giving Terry an aneurysm with the fright. Terry, BGB's one and only taxi driver, shakes his head guiltily and Father Fenlon strides off with two altar boys jogging after him. Billy Foran, whose father's daddy's name are on her left, presses a bag of Werther's Originals into my hand. Take one and pass them along, Ash, he says with a wink. And I dutifully help, my help myself and then hand the bag to Mammy just as the first fat raindrops start to fall. And deliver us from evil. Amen. Ah, feck it anyway, Father Fenlon says with a groan as people start reaching for umbrellas. Naturally, I have a handy little totes number in my bag. It wasn't cheap, $12.99 in Arnott's. But it's lovely and neat and much better quality than the ones you get in pennies for a fiver. You're only throwing your money away with those. I flick it up and James, Mammy and I all huddle awkwardly under it as the heavens open. Father Fennon makes his way back towards the altar, giving instructions about how communion will be doled out and where people should queue. An altar boy is shielding his face and head with a massive umbrella, walking backwards and just asking for trouble. As he heads past the Moran family plot, I catch sight of Magella's head peeping above the top of a ma massive granite headstone. She's helping her dad, Shem, wrestle into a raincoat while Pablo struggles with a particularly wriggly willy. <laughs> Willy's a dog. <laughs> Suddenly Willie, bolts. <laughs> Suddenly Willie bolts and Madge lets go of the arm of the raincoat. Shem's elbow flies out and shoves the umbrella-wielding altar boy, who falls forward onto Father Fenlon, pushing him straight into an open grave two plots over. A gas echoes around the graveyard, and thanks to the cordless mic, we hear every bump on the way down. I never expected a man of the cloth to have such a colourful vocabulary, but I suppose they're only human too. There's a stampede to the graveside led by Shem, who's understandably mortified. James makes a start to go and help, but I instinctively stop him. This is local business. <laughs> okay, well, I just want to say thank you so much, both of you, for giving us so much joy. Um, I can't say this enough times, but writing comedy and making people laugh is an such a skill that I think is underestimated. I don't think people realise. People like Marion Keyes, people like Paul Howard and yourselves doing that so effortlessly, like I was turning down every page where I was cracking up or I was thinking that's so clever and it was literally every page I was turning down. And to do that is, is a really brilliant talent. It's a great gift. And I think we're all so delighted that you've shared that. We, 
I'm really sorry if there's only five, but if that's if that's what you want to do, then fine. <laughs> I can't wait to see the films. And um, I just want to say thanks as well to Green and Blacks, the sponsor, because we've done this podcast in association with them. And thanks to you all for being a brilliant audience. And thank you very much, Emer and Sarah. Thank Yash, you. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks again to Emer and Sarah and thanks too to our sponsor Green and Blacks, to everyone in the Irish Times sales team for helping to organise the event and to that lovely restaurant Docklands in Cork for being such wonderful hosts. Remember you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. And if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by me, Roshi Ningle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.